Good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you will turn to Matthew, the seventh chapter. I want to read just a few passages out of Matthew, the seventh chapter in just a moment. Have you ever heard the phrase, don't judge me? You probably have if you've been on the earth more than five minutes. Uh, Don't judge me is a very common phrase. Uh, It may be something that that, uh, you've said from time to time. I'm sure I've said it from time to time, and I know I've had people say it to me from time to time. So I want to talk to you this morning about the um, concept of judging other people, judging others. And you say, is judging others uh, a biblical concept? Uh, It is a biblical concept. Uh, And you might say, well, is the phrase, don't judge me, uh, a biblical concept? Well, yeah, that's biblical too. So I want to try to look and get a a biblical perspective of what the phrase don't judge me means and if we are to judge others, how we're supposed to do that. Because if you uh, are the type of person that likes to pick up your Bible and just kind of read specific things and you don't really look at the full counsel of the gospel, uh, what you might find is you'll run across some verses sometimes that make you very confused. For example, uh, we know in Matthew the 7th chapter, which we'll read in just a second, The Bible speaks of not judging someone else, right? But then you read over in 1 Timothy, the uh, the fourth chapter and the 20th verse, it says, Them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. So the question is, which one is it? Are we to to say, well, I'm going to be in the I'm not going to judge you camp. Or are we going to be in the camp of uh, them that sin rebuke before all? You see what I'm saying? They seem to kind of contradict one another, right? So let's look for just a few minutes this morning at what the Bible says about judging others. And I want to start by reading a few verses in Matthew, the seventh chapter. In the first verse, it says, judge not that ye be not judged. That's probably one of the most quoted verses in the Bible, if you ask me. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote, or that uh, is defined as a twig, Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in thine own eye? It says, says, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Now, let's define judging for just a second. If you think about judging, typically a good definition for judging something is just to uh, to proclaim a verdict considering right and wrong. Is that not a good definition for that? You think about the court of law. Uh, uh, you know, you have a, a judge who may pronounce a sentence or a judgment, and he does that based on whether the person in question has done something right or whether he has done something wrong. And again, judgment is not necessarily saying somebody has done something wrong. It could be that you're saying that somebody has done something right. Uh, a judge may make a proclamation saying this person is innocent. So he has passed judgment on that person and that person uh, has been found to be uh, upright and holy and done something that is good. Now, obviously, on the other hand, you can be pronouncing a verdict that is bad saying, hey, this person over here. Yes, they are guilty of doing something wrong. So that would be a good example. Now, in order for us to judge Before we can ever judge anything, a standard has got to be present, right? Now, I want you to think about this example. I may have used this before here. It is a mathematical truth that 2 plus 2 equals 4, right? 
that is not open to to opinions. If you take two of something and you put two more of something with it, you have four. That is a standard. Are you with me? I always enjoyed math. And I know I've told you that before because math was kind of concrete. It was a standard. It was not open to interpretation or opinions. I never liked like the uh, the literature type classes where you got to sit around and talk about the poems that people had written and what they what we think they might have meant. Right. I remember one time I was in a literature class in college and there was I don't even remember the poem. I probably was about half listening, but it was something about a guy rolling a wed. A, that's hard to say. A red wheelbarrow over to do something and, 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 you know, let's open this up for discussion and talk about what that symbolizes and all this kind of stuff. And I finally just said, you know, maybe the guy just literally meant he was rolling a wheelbarrow across there. And, there, and the teacher was like, no, no. You know, and I just thought, can I just go back to math class where a two plus two is four, right? So a two plus two is a, is a mathematical truth. And if you take a test... And the question is, two plus two equals what? And you put five down. Or if you put anything other than four. When you get that test back, there's going to be a big red X over there saying, this did not meet the standard that is out there. This is a truth. This is a fact. This is a standard. And you missed it. Now, none of us like that, right? None of us like to see the big red X's. I used to get a test back uh, in school, and you'd, you know, you'd look at the grade, you'd flip through there and see how many red X's you have, and sometimes you see a lot of red, and you kind of think, ah. Sometimes you don't. We don't like the red X's on our life, right? Well, the question is, that's math. What about God's standard? You understand that God has a standard. Are you with me? That God does have a standard. Now, let me explain this also. There's something that we believe in that's called Christian liberty, right? Christian liberty, meaning that God doesn't necessarily say this is a standard that you must follow. There's some liberty that we can exercise. Let me give you a few examples that there are people that I know that do not like to hunt on Sunday. Now, I'm not talking about skipping church to hunt on Sunday. I'm talking about we've come to church, we've gathered together, you've laid around some in the afternoon, you decide, you, you know, you got some free time and maybe you want to get up and go hunt. There are some people who do not practice hunting on Sunday. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with me saying, well, that, I mean, you, you got full, full permission to hunt on Sunday. But then there are other people that say, you know what, I've, I've done my duty as a churchgoer and I'm going to go to church and worship and I've got an hour to spare. I may go sit in the woods and hunt a little bit and I'm not forsaking the assembly doing that. There's some Christian liberty there. Are you following me there? Uh, for, for example, me, I had a personal conviction years ago to that. I did not want any type of cable or satellite TV in our home. So we got rid of our cable and satellite. We still have uh, you know, DVDs that we watch and things like that. But I just didn't want to be able to click the TV on and just be able to see anything. And I didn't want to have to deal with the commercials and all that kind of stuff. That's something that I felt a personal conviction about. But now if I go to your house and you've got television, then there's some liberty there that I don't look at you and say, oh, you have violated the standard of God. Because God didn't say to have or not to have television, right? So there are areas of Christian liberty that we have to exercise in. 
But there are some areas that there is not Christian liberty. There are areas that God is very specific that this is my standard. This is my law. And this is what I expect. The problem that we have in society today is you have uh, you have this area of Christian liberty, right? That we exercise in. Then you have this uh, this fear that men has uh, they've established this fear that you can never say anything to anybody about anything. And if you do say something to somebody about maybe something that they have in their lives, then all of a sudden there's this huge offense that comes on and the don't judge me's come out. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. So it's more difficult in today's time maybe to uh, point out things that are God's standard. And then you've got the issue of Christian liberty and they all just kind of run together. And what I have noticed happening is that the standard of God's word has gotten pushed farther and farther and farther into the corner. Where we're afraid as God's people to stand up in love and with humility and say, listen, two plus two is four. Now, listen, when a teacher puts an X on a math test, do you know that's not her standard? He or she, they didn't come up with the standard that two plus two is four, but they're proclaiming it when they put that X on the paper. Now, God's standard is something that God came up with. You understand that? And if we were to proclaim a standard that God has given us, it's just God's standard that we are proclaiming. And I think it's very encouraging that the Lord told us, is remember this, when they hate you, they hated me first. So you're going to run into people sometimes that don't like to hear God's standard. And that's when you start to hear the don't judge me's come out. And really what the don't judge me's boil down to is this. We don't like to see red X's on our lives, right? And sometimes to minimize our guilty conscience, we'll say, oh, don't judge me. Don't you dare judge me for going out and living this particular type of lifestyle. And so we use that sometimes as just an excuse to keep people from putting the red X's on our lives. Now, I promise you I'm going to tie all this together. Let's look at the Bible for just a second. If don't judge me is, is what somebody would say is God's standard. And if you judge somebody by saying what you are doing is wrong. If, if, if that's what we believe and we say that to judge somebody is to violate God's standards. I want to look at some examples in the Bible that might make us scratch our head. What about David, King David, who has gone and he has taken Uriah's wife and essentially had Uriah murdered. He's taken Uriah's wife and he has uh, hidden that sin. And he's tried to hide it and he's tried to cover it up multiple times. But the fact is that David took another man's wife, had the husband killed to try to cover it up. And he's living this big, nasty web of lies and deceit and sin. And along comes the prophet Nathan. And Nathan talks to David for a little bit. And uh, Nathan essentially, you can read about this in 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter. Nathan essentially looks at David and says, you are guilty of having Uriah killed and taking his wife. Actually, you're guilty of taking his wife and then having him killed. Well, notice what David doesn't say. David doesn't. (laughs) Don't judge me, Nathan. How dare you judge me? How dare you point out that I have done something that I shouldn't have done? You know what David did? David broke down. And David repented of what he had done. What about uh, in Galatians, I think it's the second chapter. Galatians, the second chapter. You find an example 
of where Peter had gotten into a, uh, maybe a, uh, a little bit of a wrong mindset. And what Peter would do is Peter would go, uh, who was Jewish, Peter would go and eat with the Gentiles. And, you know, the Lord, if you're reading uh, um, uh, Acts, the ninth chapter, I believe it is, uh, maybe the tenth chapter, you read about a time where the Lord comes to Peter and he tells Peter, say, listen, quit calling the Gentiles unclean. I have touched them and cleaned them, saved them and born them again, just like I have a multitude of Jews. Quit calling them unclean. And so the Lord has specifically told Peter that Gentiles are not to be looked at like you have looked on them in the past. And so Peter begins to eat with the Gentiles until what? Until some Jewish people might come hopping along and then Peter scrambles out. Like, oh, I can't be seen eating with the Gentiles. The Jewish people are here and they're going to think I've done something wrong. And so Paul tells us that he withstood Peter to his face for skirting out of a dinner or lunch with some Gentiles just because he was afraid some Jewish people might see him. He said, you don't need to fear those people that are of the circumcision. The Lord has told you that he's cleansed these people. Quit being two-faced. Peter didn't say, oh, don't judge me. How dare you judge me for doing this the particular way that I'm doing it? Now, I want you to think about those for a, uh, for a second. So here we have clearly examples in the Bible. And there are multiple examples where a man of God went to somebody and said, what you are doing is wrong. And here's a red X on your life. So what about Matthew, the seventh chapter where it says, judge not that you be not judged. How do we reconcile this? Well, in Matthew, the seventh chapter, what we need to notice is there is indeed a moat in our brother's eye. And the Bible tells us that in part, it is our responsibility to help remove the moat from our brother's eye. Well, I can't go to a brother and start to pull a moat out of his eye without first telling him, hey, brother, there's a moat in your eye, right? Because it even tells us in verse five, it says, thou hypocrite first Cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then, then shalt thou clearly see to cast out the moat of thy brother's eye. So you see, we do have a responsibility to go to our Christian brothers and sisters and say, there's a moat in your eye, and I love you, and there's some danger in keeping that moat in your eye, and I want to help you get it out. But before we do that, the Bible is clear that we have to do some deep self-examination before we get up and go to that person. Because what it says here, he says, why are you looking at the twig, the moat that is in your brother's eye when you've got this humongous beam in your eye? And he says, first, you need to get out the beam of your eye so then you can go clearly to your brother." Now, that tells me a couple things. One, if I've got a beam in my eye, I don't see clearly. I'm not thinking clearly. My mind is clouded because of the effect that the beam has put on my eye. Think about this. If you had some sort of infection in your eyes, you're not going to see very clearly, right? You got to get that out and clean those up so you can see clearly. Because the one thing I hate doing is going to somebody on any topic only to realize six months later, I see things much clearer and I wish I would have done it differently. So the Bible says you need to look in the mirror and ask yourself, 
Is this an issue that you are dealing with personally? And if it is, you do not reserve the right to go to your brother and talk to him about his. Now, let's look at a, a couple things here. In Acts, the 23rd chapter, we see a man named Ananias violate this very principle. <clears throat> In 20, Acts, the 23rd chapter, it says in first, the first verse, And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. So Peter, um, I mean, Paul's standing before the Sanhedrin here. And he's speaking to the high priest. And he says something. And then Ananias commands the soldier that's standing beside Paul to hit him. And then Paul says to him, and then Paul said unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. You see what he says there? He says, Ananias, here you are telling me that I'm guilty of violating the law, yet you just violated the law by commanding him to strike me. And so Paul says, there's something, Ananias, that you need to clear up before you can do what you just did to me, right? Now, there's a great danger in the eyes of God for us to not do some strong self-examination before we go out judging. Now listen, in Romans, the second chapter, in verse 3, it says, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Notice what we're talking about here. We see Paul go to Peter and he judged him in the sense that he made a proclamation that Peter, what you are doing is wrong. Nathan went to David and said, David, I'm making a proclamation that what you are doing is wrong. But before they did that, they did some self-examination. And said, am I worthy? Am I the right candidate? Am I the right person to go to this person and say those things? So what is biblical judgment? Perhaps John says it best. He says, uh, he says uh, the Apostle John says, judge righteous judgment by first examining yourself to see if you are at fault in the matter or if you are at fault in the same way. And then if you are not and you go to that person, you don't go to them with a Louisville slugger. You go with humility and gentleness and kindness as you instruct them. Now, what are the consequences for God's people or society in general for us to stop saying God does have a standard? Now, listen to me. There is Christian liberty like I've already talked about. But there is no liberty in what marriage should be. Marriage, as God defined it, is between a man and a woman. There's no gray area there. That is God's standard. And if there is someone that says, this is something I believe that a man can marry a man and a woman can marry a woman. Listen, if I am not guilty of the same sin, and I'm not practicing that thing. And this person claims the Lord and claims to be a child of God. It is my duty 
to say there's something in your eye that needs to be taken out because God has a standard. And his standard is that marriage should be between a man and a woman. You could also take that and handle the subject of fornication. Did you know that there is no Christian liberty in fornication? Do you know that God has a standard that the marriage bed should not be undefiled? Right? That's a standard. But listen, do you see a lot of that? Do you see a lot of God's people saying, here is our standard? It is not an issue of Christian liberty or it is not a gray area when we begin to talk about abortion. Right? Abortion is a murder of a beating heart. It is the murder of a child. I don't care how you slice it. That's how it is. It is a murder of a child. But I'm afraid that God's people, whether for fear of men or whatever reason, we have begun to... uh, confuse ourselves on what is part of liberty and what is actually a violation of God's standard, right? Maybe if we had more of God's people standing up and say, this is what God says. And I want to live my life as as close as I can to God's standard. And when I fall short of it, I want to repent and ask the Lord to forgive me and turn from where I am and go back to living in the way that God's standard tells me to live. Because to take God's standard out of society, you know, the, the, the tricky thing, the real tricky thing about, say, homosexual marriage, do you know that the banner that, the, that, that, is, that they march under is love? Well, how can God be against love? Take that issue up with the Lord. But He said, this is what marriage ought to be, right? So, the tricky part is, is sometimes biblical principles might be applied to an unbiblical act. And you got to be careful how you navigate that. But what is the consequence of us all just standing back and just not going to say anything? You know, they're over there doing that and it's wrong and they shouldn't do that. And I'm just not going to say anything. What's the problem with that? It will perpetuate the downfall of a society. And we're watching that happen, right? When we refuse to acknowledge what is right and wrong, when we make truth relative, and we let everybody, as the Bible says, do what is right in their own eyes, we are taking the safeguards of God's Word out of this world. You see, there's a reason that the Lord tells us that fornication is something we don't need to practice. There's a reason for that. Do you know how much damage has come to the hearts of young people because of that? Do you know if fornication was a non-issue, that abortion would almost be a non-issue? See, the Lord knows what He's doing. And He said, here's, your, here's my standard. It's to keep you safe. Amen. It's not to rule over you as, as just some sort of Lord that likes to make you squirm and do the things I want to do just so I can exercise my power. They're safeguards for us, right? right. Now, Back to Matthew, the seventh chapter for just a second as I get ready to close here. If we're one of the people that say I'm going to 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 subscribe to the don't judge me phrase, if I'm going to put that in my holster and the minute somebody comes along and says, hey, listen. What you did last night. Is a violation of God's word. 
And there's danger in it. And I love you. And I don't want to see you harmed by it. I don't want to see this become a habit and watch you destroy your lives. If you're one of those people that pull it out of your holster, don't judge me. Maybe what you ought to say instead of don't judge me is God's word is not my standard. So stop holding me accountable to it. Hear me now? I'm going to say that again. If God's word is not your standard. And somebody comes along to you and tries to make it your standard, it won't work. But if you profess that God's word and God's laws are my standard. And somebody comes to you and says, what you're doing is dangerous and it violates God's law. You should accept that humbly. And you should thank God that you've got people that are courageous enough in your life to come to you. Because you know what they you know what they're risking when they come to you? Your friendship. They know I'm risking my friendship by coming to you and saying, hey, this habit of drunkenness that I see in you, it violates God's law and it's dangerous. And I don't want to see you continue to go down that path. You ought to thank God if there's people like that in your life. But now listen, if you're the drunkard, you don't have the right to go to him. Because you got to stand in that mirror and start pulling some stuff out of your own eye before you go to him. So, judging others is a biblical concept. I'm asking you, as brothers and sisters in Christ, if you see things in my life that are violating God's word, Examine yourself and please come to me. Because sometimes that twig that might be in my eye makes it hard for me to see those things. You understand that there's so many people out there, and I've been one of them, who are living a life in maybe habitual sin and they just fail to see it. Because that's what sin does, it blinds us. So I'm inviting you, please come to me. And if I ever come to you and you say God's word is my standard and I come to you or Brother Tim comes to you in love or any other brother and sister, I ask that you'll receive that humbly. We have a great responsibility in sharpening one another. And one of the ways that we sharpen one another is to say, hey, I want you to think about this. The Bible tells us that it is not God's will that we should fornicate. So I want you to think about this. The Bible tells us there's great danger and drunkenness and it's a sin against God. I want you to think about this. Or maybe there's a, a pregnancy that's unexpected or, or unwanted. What the Bible says about shedding innocent blood. Let's think about this. We should do that for one another. And if we love each other, we should by all means do that. But we do it with humility and love. Right? Like if, 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 if sometimes if one of my children... If, they're, if they have violated something I've told them to do and I want to be effective in making sure that doesn't happen again, I don't come down with them and just start you know, raining blows on their head and screaming and pushy. I may be firm and it may be uncomfortable at first, but when I love them and pull them to me and say, I'm telling you this because I love you, that's when it gets effective. Amen. Right? So... Matthew 7 says, Judge not lest you be judged. 1 Timothy 4.20 says, Them that sin rebuke before all, that others may fear. You see, it can be both ways. We never judge when the, when the beam is in our eye, right? 
But if the beam is not in our eyes, that we are supposed to go to those in a loving way. And maybe if we did that, I encourage you to think about these things. Maybe if we did that, there would not be quite as much confusion about what is right and what is wrong today. Because we're in a day where good is called evil and evil is called good. Maybe it wouldn't be quite to the degree if God's people stood up and said, here is God's standard. It's not my standard any more than the, the, the math teacher created the standard of two plus two is four. But she proclaims it. And when it's not addressed correctly, she identifies it. Right. God's standard has been given to us and he puts part of the responsibility of upholding that standard and upholding it as a light and gently instructing one another and pointing that out upon us. Hey, it's not fun. It's not a fun thing, but you know what is fun and exciting? To see a brother or sister turn. Amen. To see a brother or sister repent and say, you know what, I have been living a life in a way I shouldn't live it. And you have shown me that God expects more of me and this is a, a, a sin against Him and I'm going to change. That's exciting. Amen. So I hope that's been profitable to you. And please pray for Brother Tim as he comes.